0: Welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule
1: of law. Welcome to ELI's People, Places, Planet podcast. I'm Christine Perry, a staff attorney here at ELI, and this week we're diving into one of ELI's newest environmental justice initiatives, the Pro Bono Clearinghouse. The Pro Bono Clearinghouse connects attorneys and communities to solving pressing environmental problems. Through the Clearinghouse, we strive to ensure that communities with viable environmental legal matters get the representation they need, whether that be in a courtroom, in front of an agency, or in a more facilitative or consultative fashion. We do so by connecting environmental law clinics with the many hundreds of environmental law members we have here at ELI and at our various collaborating organizations like the American Bar Association's section of Environment, Energy, and Resources. To tell us more about the Clearinghouse, including how various attorneys, communities, nonprofits, and clinics can participate, we are joined today by Scott Wilson Badenoch, Jr., a visiting attorney at ELI, and Arielle King, who runs ELI's Environmental Justice Program. Scott Wilson Badenoch, Jr., has been a founder of environmental startups, counsel for large-scale brownfield transactions and remediation projects domestically and abroad, a writer of environmental legislation and legal tech a consultant and advisor for international human rights organizations, and pro bono support for the Flink class action lawsuits. For the last two years, he has served in leadership of the environmental justice committees of the American Bar Association's Sections of Civil Rights and Social Justice and Energy, Environment, and Resources. Arielle King brings the ELI a background in environmental racism analysis, political ecology, critical race theory, sustainability, civil rights law, and integrating equity and environmental justice considerations into climate action plans. She is passionate about making environmental education inclusive and accessible to all. Ariel holds a JD and a Master's in Environmental Law and Policy from Vermont Law School. Scott and Ariel, thanks for joining us today. We're eager to share more about the Clearinghouse with our listeners.
0: Thank you, Christine.
1: Thanks, Christine. All right, so for our first question, what is the ELI pro bono Clearinghouse?
0: So the Clearinghouse is really one of our efforts at ELI to bring our incredible membership to bear for environmental justice issues. The Clearinghouse is a place where our members and particularly our lawyers can connect with communities who need their services um, and where clinics, environmental law clinics um, and legal aid NGOs can also engage either in finding a community to serve or in expanding their own capacity with our ELI membership in terms of whatever legal assistance they're partaking in. Um, The Clearinghouse is really a place to connect. It's a place for communities to be found. It's a a place for clinics to expand their capacity. Um, It's a place to ensure that no environmental matter goes without the representation that it deserves.
1: That's so wonderful, Scott, thank you. And I'm really interested, how do you come up with this idea?
0: Well, honestly, it was years of feeling very sad about not being able to provide my own services to every community that I came across. I would attend Brownfield's conferences and. Um, any number of environmental events and communities would come up to me after whether I spoke on a panel or um, was engaging with other folks there and they found out that I'd helped a community in some way or another previously and they wanted to see if I could help and of course you know I wanted to but oftentimes um, it's the wrong jurisdiction or it's a category of law that is not my area of expertise. Um, or I just didn't have the bandwidth. And so what would happen is I would then sort of connect with the folks on email and try to think about who could potentially take their case on of colleagues that I know. And that would amount to a couple emails, uh, you know, very well written and hoping that someone on the other end of that email would take them up. But frankly, it was often... Um, a failed effort and would get their, those communities hopes up um, and it would sort of break my heart. And what I realized was if there were a way to connect those communities to, instead of say two, three or four of my colleagues, um, more like 2,000, thre- 2, 3,000, 4,000, then maybe the numbers game would change that outcome and those communities could actually find the representation they needed. Well, being at ELI and the American Bar Association, we are sitting on a huge supply of environmental lawyers. And I realized that it was important to find a way to systematically connect the dots. And um, this is what the Clearinghouse really is built for. That instead of me sending out an email that goes to a couple people, um, the ELI Clearinghouse will blast an email to all of our members saying here's the new matters and that would increase the chances that they would be found Um, and also on the flip side that eli membership is constantly looking for subject matter relevant pro bono Um, there's you know a lot of folks doing ad hoc pro bono um, meaning they same as the first part of the story they heard from word of mouth or somebody found them at a conference or what have you and that's fine those are all great but again it's not very efficient and it doesn't um satisfy the massive demand across so many communities in our country and internationally for environmental legal pro bono Um, and so being able to provide to our membership um, access to all of these different matters in different jurisdictions and in a variety of different environmental uh, sort of legal frameworks was, you know, the solution we, we came to. And um, we're very excited to start satisfying those requests rather than having to find elegant ways to say that we couldn't.
1: This is such a big undertaking. What have been the major challenges to creating a service like this?
0: Oh, man, so many. Um, You know, it it, it sounds easy when you think about, oh, there's a huge demand for something, and then, oh, there's a huge supply. You just connect those dots. But I think everyone uh, who's a lawyer knows that conflict issues are very significant. Um, And anybody who knows ELI knows that we are not a litigation body. We don't engage in litigation at all. So those were two very major barriers that we had to figure out. How could we provide this service um, despite those issues? So on the conflict side, the, you know, the amount of uh, law firms that we have is, again, just is a numbers game. There will be a bunch that will be conflicted out of any number of matters, but they might not be conflicted out of a bunch of other matters. And so we really realized that it was a scale issue that could get through those. Um, But also that the more we talked to communities, the more we realized that a lot of these issues didn't raise the conflict because communities just needed some legal information and some research and some consultation rather than litigation. Most of it wasn't amounting to full-blown litigation. Um, And the uh, ELI aspect, which is that we don't get involved in litigation and that's not our role, um, we finally sort of figured out, well, fortunately, all these environmental law clinics across the country, whether it's one that's attached to and associated with a law school, um, or it's a big NGO like Earth Justice or NRDC, um, those clinics were frequently resource restrained and would also have to reject any number of matters every year um, in the same way I was sort of having to turn people down. And they wouldn't often have a great place to send those matters, even if they were viable and deserved representation. Um, So now they'll have a place for that. So every single clinic um, that we've reached out to and that has environmental matters, when they get to the rejection stage, now have a place to send that community and that's the clearinghouse. But also importantly, that that clinic has already done their pre-vetting of the matter. They know it's not, um, you know, nonsense. It's, It's a real matter with real community members that deserve representation. And so ELI didn't have to do um, any legal analysis, we could just provide again the space for those matters to be posted, and then our, you know, attorney members to find them, and and move forward.
1: That's an interesting point that you bring up about the subcomplex. Can you touch on that more, Scott?
0: Yeah, um, you know, I think it's really important to note that a lot of these uh, EJ communities, what they really need is an attorney who will sit down with them and listen to the various issues they have and determine what is what. They frequently don't know what they don't know in terms of legal intricacies. And, you know, that sort of legal consultation is sub-conflict, or that's a term, I, I don't know if it's if it's a term of art or not, but it's a term that I've been using um, that it doesn't rise to the occasion where a, an attorney would have to go through a full conflict check, um, because essentially you're just in a in a friendly consultation mode, um, and we call that we we sort of differentiate between the types of pro bono attorneys um, that could support a community. Uh, as a medical analogy, which is that there are general practitioners like your like your doctor that knows you well and listens to any ache and pain or issue that you have and then helps to refer you to specialists and those specialists would likely be more in the potential conflict territory depending on what it is so one of the things that we have done with the clearinghouse is help to differentiate through different forms whether a community really needs that gp who can sit down and hear all their issues and figure out what's going on or if they need a a referral to a specialized doctor, or in this case, lawyer. And the, um, the hope is that every community will have their own GP. And some of them already do. Some of them have uh, lawyers that work with them or have for a long time. Some of them have lawyers within their community already. Those folks won't need a GP. They can go straight to uh, the referral and figure out, oh, okay, we've got a NEPA issue or whatever it is. Um, and, and that would be where a conf- typical conflict check would arise. Um, But I do encourage a lot of our attorney members to, um, you know, take the conflict fear uh, off, at least at the beginning, because much of it is still sub-conflict, and a lot of that support is really what they need. Um, And litigation, as I think anyone in this space knows, is often not a great solution for communities anyway. So it's great to find um, resolution for them in non-litigation ways. And that's, that's sort of the, the definition of subconflict.
1: And what other issues might arise for attorneys wanting to be involved in this program?
0: You know, I, I'd say that the first is what we recently covered in our CLE program um, about community lawyering for environmental justice. The, the majority of lawyers work in a firm setting where they're paid to be evaluative. A uh, client comes in and says, I've got X, Y, and Z, and the attorney literally their job is to say, okay, well, then that equals A or B. Um, and you know, that's super valuable in that context. But what a EJ community really needs is a facilitative lawyer one that is willing to support whatever it is they need and not jump to conclusions and or force the the lawyer's own analysis of what should happen on the community. Frankly, what is happening in a community lawyering setting is that you are an assistant to the community. You take sort of a, a secondary role. They lead and you follow. And that's often very different from the way attorneys operate on a day-to-day basis. And so there is some learning curve there that um, attorneys who are in a typical firm setting need to appreciate and and experience um, in order to engage with communities most effectively.
1: Scott, can you tell us a little bit more about what the process has been for launching this program and what are your plans going forward?
0: Yeah, the, um, the process has been, you know, long and windy. Um, it's, there are many issues that have, have come up in terms of how do you really do all of this. Um, but the, you know, first thing that we did was begin outreach to the groups that we realized would be critical to the success of the Clearinghouse. Um, one was, and we, we really did this in, in parallel, One was our ELI firm members, and we talked to their pro bono um, heads and the directors and said, here's what we're thinking. How could this work for you? Um, And how would it not work for you? We had a survey and then follow-up calls and really understood um, at the end of that, how law firms and lawyers are constantly working to find more pro bono. Uh, as pro bono has become more important, um, in at the bar level, uh, state bar level, national bar level, and at the firm level, um, that it's very difficult to find, um, environmental pro bono and, and therefore subject matter relevant to us environmental law- lawyers. And, um, so that challenge was, um, you know something that we, we wanted to help solve and that working with our environmental law um, firm members helped us to understand. At the same time, we worked with um, the many environmental law clinic practitioners that we knew. Um, and now there's over a hundred of these clinics across the country. And so we reached out to many that had been running um, or helped develop or launch these types of environmental law clinics and said, what are are you experiencing? And how could we help expand your capacity? Um, And for those that don't know, these environmental law clinics are truly inspirational. They do incredible work um, often for, you know, much less pay than the the firm folks. And um, they often take on cases that firms won't, Um, but they're also incredibly, Limited in terms of their resources. They can only take so many matters. They only have so many attorneys and and, uh, students. And um, so there were limitations there. Um, But they're also challenged with finding local counsel often, um, something that the clearinghouse will work to solve. Um, And that's just, again, a numbers game. You might take a case in a far off state that you don't have a lot of um, connection with. And it's very difficult to find that local counsel that would join your case. Um, The clearinghouse can help with that. And the third on the clinical side is that um, oftentimes a clinic would be constrained from taking on a case because um, the subject matter could dip into an area that they don't have expertise in-house on. So they might have expertise on another part of the matter, but not in a a, a particular area. And the Clearinghouse will work to solve that too, because the clinics will then be able to post, hey, we need an expert on the new NEPA regulations. Um, And our membership can uh, reach out, connect and support on those sorts of things um, as well. So in terms of going forward, we launched on Valentine's Day as this is our major heart project. And um, we want everyone to know that this is an iterative tool. Uh, We are not Google. So it's not gonna be perfect right out the gate. We think that the Clearinghouse is an excellent service already, but we have many plans for phase two um, where there will be additional functionality and additional capabilities of the site we're excited about those, um, but we also want everyone to know that we are open to um, thoughts and um, possibilities. So, please reach out to us at pro bono at eli.org with any any thoughts and opportunities. Um, we see the clearinghouse as a legacy project. I hope that in ten years, um, I'm off with other projects, and I can go to ELI.org slash pro bono and see the clearinghouse functioning perfectly. And, you know, hundreds of matters have been taken, and it is a prolific place. So this is something that we are committed to uh, in a very long term, sort of legacy project type of way. Um, and And so those plans will manifest as they come forward, but they will also be Um, a result of the feedback that we get from all angles, the communities, the clinics, and um, the lawyers that are involved in it.
1: Taking a step back, what is environmental justice? Why is environmental law such a powerful tool to address environmental and climate injustice? So environmental justice embraces the principle that all people deserve equal access to environmental protection and enforcement, recognizing that this both historically and currently often is not the case and communities that receive the least benefits are experiencing the greatest environmental burdens. As we've mentioned in a previous episode, in the United States, these communities are predominantly low income and or black indigenous people of color. And so the legal system has traditionally not been supportive of of undoing this harm and has in fact contributed to a lot of the unequal distribution of environmental burdens and benefits. So that's why the work that we're doing with the Clearinghouse and the educational curriculum that goes along with it are so important. We are creating a full curriculum of continued legal education opportunities for attorneys who may not know and may not be trained in community lawyering techniques to be able to understand what they need to do in order to meet the needs of communities that are dealing with environmental injustice. And in many cases, this includes incorporating civil rights law and other types of law into the work that you're doing. How does the Environmental Justice Program function within ELI, and what role will the Clearinghouse play in promoting its broader mission? ELI's Environmental Justice Program is being built on the past work of ELI staff, scholars, and visiting attorneys, and is being guided by a statement that our Board of Directors issued in 2020, where they committed to anti-racism and the advancement of environmental justice, both internally at ELI and throughout the work that we create. The Pro Bono Clearinghouse is now a part of what I'm calling the Environmental Justice Lawyering Program within our EJ program. And the program is primarily focused on making sure that attorneys are equipped with the tools necessary to advance environmental justice which of course sits at the intersection of environmental law and civil rights law. So we are providing educational opportunities for attorneys who are opting into the clearinghouse to learn more about movement lawyering and community lawyering techniques, which are a bit different from what most traditional environmental attorneys are probably used to. A lot of that work centers on prioritizing the needs of communities making sure that they are their needs are met but also recognizing that their needs may change and so we we just had our first of a series of continuing legal education trainings on community lawyering for environmental justice and we look forward to developing a full series and curriculum throughout this year coming back to you scott what are some of the types of legal matters that the clearinghouse will process
0: yeah well, communities across the country and and really abroad, but I'll focus on on the U.S. for now, um, face a, a surprisingly similar list of issues. Um, that was something that we understood in um, the Bright Program, which I also founded and run at E.L.I. That when you look across the country, um, communities are struggling with very similar list of things. Um, One of which is brownfields, so the history of toxic sites uh, in and around their neighborhood. That is usually directly associated with blight, Um, so properties that are vacant or run down. um, And those are often located close to those brownfields and may even be brownfields themselves. Um, Then, you know, NEPA or the local equivalent of, you know, environmental reviews uh, for developments, and water issues, so Clean Water Act and Safe Drinking Water Act, or the local um, water regulations, hazardous waste and toxins, whether that's in soil, water, or air, Um, aging infrastructure, like what we saw in Pittsburgh. Um, This is uh, rife across the country, and particularly in communities of color, EJ communities. Um, Sustainable development and area-wide planning. A lot of communities over the years of being neglected in terms of uh, government budgets have taken a DIY approach to sustainable development uh, through the concept EPA launched in 2010 called Area-Wide Planning, and we just published a guide for that at thebrightguide.com, uh, which is exactly that a DIY guide for EJ communities to do their own area-wide planning and sustainable development. Um, and then you know permitting and working with with agencies across the board, whether it's a local or a state or even a federal agency, um, dispute resolution issues between communities um, with government, with corporations or with individual owners or responsible parties, and then, of course,
1: litigation. It seems like there are a lot of legal matters that the Clearinghouse will take on. Can you tell us now how attorneys, law school clinics, legal aid nonprofits, and communities can participate in the Clearinghouse?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, So let's start with communities. First, um, communities will be directed to go through clinics. And we provide an exhaustive list, though I say exhaustive with an asterisk, we you know, we may have missed one. So if you do know of an environmental law clinic that is not on our list, please do email us at bono at ELI.org and we will add it. But communities need to go through a clinic um, first and the clinic can hear them out what's going on. And if the clinic decides that they can't take that case on um, but that it's viable, then they can redirect them right back to us and we can post it on the clearinghouse. So. That's the first step for every community. Once they've come back to us, then I mentioned it earlier, but we have two different forms. One is for the general practitioner, right? The, The lawyer that will sit and listen to whatever is going on and try to figure out what referrals are needed. The second form is that referral form, right? The specialized lawyer that Someone might be, um, needing for a temporary restraining order on a water permit, something very discreet. Um, that form, as we note on the website would really ideally be filled out by the GP that is supporting the community because they have, um, the legal expertise to sum up what's going on. So those are, those are the major buckets for the community. Um, and it's. Also worth noting that these forms are not a place for a community to tell everything that's going on. In fact, uh, we really like to say that less is more on these things because the more information you give, the more likely that you are to trigger a conflict with someone casually looking through the matters, one of our attorneys. Um, and so you really just want to keep very surface level that this is your location, this is who you are uh, as a community, your URL, your contact information, and that, for instance, you know you have a toxic property in the neighborhood that you'd like to figure out how to solve, or you have uh, a water issue, or an aging infrastructure issue, or one of the various challenges. And then let the lawyers, when they reach out to you as a community member, have their due diligence process begin, where they will know how to navigate a conflict and when to stop if there if one arises. So um, these forms are, are definitely not a place to give an exhaustive breakdown of 25 years of challenges. So try to stay um, fairly limited in those. For attorneys, um, ELI members will uh, be able to access the uh, clearinghouse after an opt-in. Uh, the opt-in will be a, a a bit of a sort of disclaimer, and um, you know, like a one of the you know check boxes that we always do when we uh, download a new app. But it will also require that the attorney watch our recent CLE on community lawyering for environmental justice. Um, and a quick note is that the sooner that you opt in and watch that video and become part of the Clearinghouse, the better because that um, CLE will expand very soon as we have an entire curriculum that we will be rolling out um, for the attorneys who join later. So it could be many hours of of learning before we allow you to get in. Um, And that's really back to a point I made earlier that this is not your average lawyering. Um, This is facilitative and community lawyering and it's very important um, that any of our lawyer members understand that before they reach out to a community. Um, And for non-attorney or for non-member attorneys, you will have to join ELI um, and then opt in. So this is not open to every attorney in the world and we think that's important for privacy issues that we know who you are as an attorney um, before we connect you with these communities and you know communities have been um, had their hopes uh, dashed many a time and we think this is going to be a way to prevent that. Um, For non-lawyers and students you can still engage in the clearinghouse. Um, The support that a community needs is varied. It takes a village so non-lawyers and you know scientific experts and even law students or even undergraduate students can still help so we are hoping that those um those folks will still uh get into the clearinghouse and um look for matters that may pertain to them and reach out and say hey I'm not a lawyer but I can help with research or writing or thinking about your issues or I had Um, You know, I've worked on water issues as a scientist for years. Those sorts of things can really move the needle for a community, and we hope those folks will engage. For law firms, um, of course, if you're an ELI firm member, you you will have similar access as to what I described. You'll still have to opt in and watch the video. Um, If your law firm is interested in this and is not an ELI member, we highly encourage you to become an ELI firm member, and this will allow your uh, attorneys to access this subject matter relevant pro bono and support, um, this incredible group of communities that, that need them. Um, really the more attorneys, the better back to what I said earlier, this is a numbers game. Lawyers are very busy. Communities are varied. Um, it's important that we have as many as possible to connect those doubts. Um, there's 50 states we're hoping to have, um, you know, within this, within a couple of years, uh, maps that cover um, the entire 50 states and beyond in all of the critical categories—you um, know, land, air, water, and, and everything, everything else that I listed earlier—so um, that there is there is no legal desert that we haven't addressed. And that's a really important long-term mission for us: is is to solve the legal desert problem that we know that we have in the U.S. and and elsewhere. Um, so one of the things that we've done to address that is that we've been collaborating with incredible groups like the American Bar Association, um, their section on environment, energy environment and resources um, and uh, ACOEL, which is the American College of Environmental Lawyers, um, frankly, the sort of hall of fame of environmental lawyers. and um, And another is EPN, the Environmental Protection Network, um, which is uh, former e- um, EPA alum alums. And this between all of those groups, we have really an incredible roster of attorneys to bring to bear for these communities. and we hope that um, you know, truthfully, no matter that is a viable environmental matter uh, will go unrepresented um, as a result of our clearinghouse. Uh, for for EJ groups, we are working with two partners partners that are phenomenal, and we hope that every EJ community will go and register with one of them as well uh, for the various resources that they provide that are outside of the legal context, um, but related to it. Uh, one is the Anthropocene Alliance, also known as a 2 um, They have many dozens of EJ communities that, that they provide uh, a number of different services for Uh, in support of those communities, and the Thriving Earth Exchange, uh, which also has, I think, over 100 communities, um, and is the scientific pro bono side of this. Um, And I know from practicing in these types of communities that oftentimes uh, pro bono lawyers will face an issue where they realize, "Uh uh-oh, we need a scientist here, and we don't have one. And so our partnership with the Thriving Earth Exchange would solve that because they have the same problem on their side where they realize they're providing pro bono scientific support for an EJ community. And then uh, suddenly they stumble upon what seems like a legal issue and they don't have a lawyer. So we hope to solve that and make sure that every community has the scientific support they need and uh, the legal support that they need. Um, For law clinics at law schools or independent, Um, join us as a clinic partner. That's one of the uh, bits of functionality that we've provided, which would allow them to post any need um, that they have. And I I described some of those earlier, but the two main ones are um, searching for a local counsel. You've taken a case in, say, Biloxi, and you need a local counsel there. And um, across our networks, uh, we should be able to find somebody or at least would be uh, far, you know, better um, at, you know, have a far better chance at doing that um, with our thousands of lawyers than you would in your personal Rolodex. Um, and, and then um, the second is to expand your own capacity beyond local counsel. So um, you have a, a, a clinic that's taking on a matter um, and it's been strictly on say water issues, but now you realize you have NEPA issues that you have, Uh, that you have to contend with. And so the clinic can post uh, to the clearinghouse what matter they're working on and the type of specialized attorney that they would need to expand their internal capacity.
1: I know I'm really excited to see where this program goes. Scott and Ariel, thank you so much for joining today and sharing more about the Pro Bono Clearinghouse.
0: Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod. Brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you, so please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.